This podcast includes unapologetic logic and reason and may not be suitable for all audiences. In a world full of nonsense, he's been called the voice of uncommon common sense. He sees the abnormal that many find normal. Author and award-winning speaker, he is Chris Hello and welcome back. Thursday already, the week's passing quickly, lots going on, election coming up, time's moving quickly, kids are back to school, pretty soon it's going to be the holidays. Despite all that, as time inevitably marches on, our country, I think, is in quite a struggle for the survival of our culture, really. And yesterday I talked about this Jerry Springer show comparison. And, you know, you might not see it. Maybe you live a very quiet or a very sheltered life. You don't see what's what's really happening out there. Uh, But it's really true. Uh, If you go into into the inner cities and uh, even the fringe areas and and even uh, poor rural areas, there is some serious, serious depravity going on and some seriously warped thinking. Let me just share with you a couple of headlines to kind of make that point. <laughs> Let me share the headlines with you real quick, and then I'll kind of go back through here, okay? Fox News reporting that uh, there's a prospect of a funding bill crisis that the government's going to run out of money. Texas teacher tells students to call pedophiles minor attracted people. Border Patrol agents seizing record amounts of fentanyl and meth at the border. Democrat congressman accuses Republican of stealing the election for the Texas uh, Democrat, uh, the, the Texas Democrat for the House seat there. Uh, so, how's that Jerry Springer show? Well, <laughs> how the heck do we have a funding bill crisis? I've been saying this, uh, you know, I, I, there's only so much I can follow, uh, there's only so much I can get into. And one person can't do it all. I don't have a staff here. I don't have a research department. I don't have somebody to keep notes. I don't have somebody to keep all the data organized. But all I have is my basic ability to observe. And, I mean, let's go back to the trillion-dollar infrastructure bill. Where did that money go? Have you seen any infrastructure projects? I haven't heard or seen of one. Not even any talk of it. And I'm pretty well plugged into that stuff. Where'd that go? Where'd the Inflation Reduction Act money go? That now they say, well, it was really a new Green Deal. (laughs) Whatever it was, where in God's name is this money going? Where is it going to the fact that they just signed this last law and they're turning around saying, well, that didn't cover the budget part. What? Like, between the, the the two bills, the two laws, I think you're uh, uh, talking about something like $3 trillion. But we didn't get to the budget part yet. Tell me that that's not complete lunacy. 
Tell me that some there's not a serious uh, uh, fiscal crisis going on that money gets spent like that. Nobody knows what was really being spent. I can easily prove it in two ways. One, that the infrastructure money, there's no evidence of it. And two, they passed the, quote, Inflation Reduction Act, turn around a week later, and said, well, it was really a new green deal. But we couldn't say that because the nutty Republicans would never expect it, accept it. So we lied. We lied to everybody because this is what was necessary to get it done. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> that makes it okay. $3 trillion evaporated, all right? Lunacy. Texas teacher telling students to call pedophiles minor attracted people. I know you could get roped into a lot of conversation about this, my friend. I just have one question. Why is any teacher discussing pedophilia with my kids? Why is there any adult on the planet discussing pedophilia with my kids? You know, uh, I was uh, with some friends on Saturday night. I think I mentioned it to you. And uh, I mentioned to you this week that we also uh, joined this, uh, uh, I don't know what you call it, health club, recreational facility near us. And my wife was going to take a look at the YMCA, and I said, absolutely not. Why not? Well, there's too much craziness there today. They're not all bad. I, I support the YMCA, yada, 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 but... I just have no no intention of going to one. And I'm telling this story around the fire Saturday, and my friend says, why? I said, well, did you hear the story? The grandmother that worked there, she got fired for throwing the, the, uh, the transgender dude out of the girl's bathroom where they're changing into their bathing suits. He said, yeah, I did hear that. You see, here's the problem for me. Uh, there's nobody going to be getting fired. Let me tell you something. If I find some dude in the locker room with my daughter... That person has a serious, immediate problem. Don't, I don't want to care what you're going to tell me you identify with. And if you enter the locker room with my daughter and you're a male, you're going to have a serious problem, plain and simple. It's not going to be a police problem. It's not going to be a problem with management. It's going to be a problem with me right then and there. I'm not playing around. And I know that I'm not the only person that thinks and talks like this. It's only a matter of time before one of these sleazy, slimy scumbags does this crap in the presence of the wrong person, and they're going to twist their head off at the neck, and rightfully so. And then everybody's going to go, oh, minor attracted people shouldn't be discriminated against. Nobody's going to listen. It doesn't need to happen. There's no teacher that should be discussing sexual orientation or pedophilia with any kids, period. Another indication of the lunacy. No boundaries. No fiscal constraint. No boundaries in the school system. No boundaries at the border. Federal agents seizing record amounts of fentanyl and meth. More and more of these drugs being pumped into our society. What could go wrong? Go take a look down at Kensington, Philadelphia. Go search it on YouTube, Kensington, Philadelphia. People, it's like the land of the walking dead. I wonder if maybe it's where they came up with the idea for the for the walking dead. I thought that was a great show, by the way. Why, why is it ending? I don't know. I haven't watched it in forever. Record amounts of fentanyl and meth. Is this what we really need? And who's behind it? They say the Chinese Communist Party. 
having it smuggled in through Mexico, an attack on Mexico, an attack on us, all while the politicians sit back and do little to nothing about it. In fact, they make it worse. Open borders. You know what open borders means? Anarchy. Then, speaking of the anarchy, you've been listening to months now. The questioning an election is a threat to democracy. Threat to democracy. Insurrection. Threat to democracy. Threat to democracy. And everybody doesn't know anything better but to go along with it because everybody's stoned. So, isn't it interesting that the Democrats say, oh, no, I was talking about something else when I said that. <laughs> talking about something else, what? What was, the sto- what, was sto- what was the stolen part in the Republican, the Trump claim about the 2020 election that's different than his claim about the 2020 election? <laughs> I don't know. I got a couple of emails from our buddy Dan. He sums this up pretty well. He says, the federal government has attained power beyond the will of the people. We see how domestic threats are a problem for democracy. When the will of the people are threats, it's not to democracy. It's a threat to dictatorship. We seem to be beyond the ability to vote these criminals out of office. We vote, they count, we lose. Did I miss something? If we take... Any blowhard politicians claim about, quote, democracy and change that word to communist rule, you'll finally get the facts. Nobody wants unending debt, nobody wants open borders, and nobody wants to be taxed into poverty. But it seems to be the only things we're getting. You know, uh, with the exception of the taxes, that, that is one where I think people do regularly vote for tax increases. It kind of blows my mind in, in many ways. Uh, but it's really true. I, I've never spoken to anybody that said that they're in favor of endless debt, yet the politicians continue to vote for it. I've never heard anybody tell me that they think oh, open borders is a good idea, and it's not legal, and yet it continues to go on anyway. Jerry Springer Nation, everybody just, you have vast swaths of the population on meth and fentanyl. You think they're having these conversations? Do you know how common the term, what's the term? Uh, Is it tweaking? Tweaking. I guess that's when you wake up, you know, after uh, coming off of this stuff and you kind of... It's it's a, I witnessed it uh, a couple weeks ago for the first time, and somebody pointed out, said, yeah, that guy's tweaking. I said, what? He said, just pointing it out on the street. Guy's sitting there like a, a bus shelter or something like that. What you, he's what? He's tweaking, picking at his arms, and it's, it's rendering themselves to be less than human. It's nuts. It's really nuts. Uh, you look at what's happening, the way people are thinking, and it's like a, a demonic uh, a plague or demonic uh, possession of, the, of, of much of the country, I think. I don't know. I know it's crazy to say that. But it's true. People haven't voted for this any more than people voted for Roe v. Wade. You know, they said, the vast majority of the country supports Roe v. Wade. They, they, don't, they have no way of proving that. There's no evidence to vote on polls, say. If you surveyed 1,200 people and going to draw some kind of conclusion 
about what the majority of the people in this country think, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the majority think anyway. That's why this is a republic, because we don't allow mob rule, even if the majority of the people think that it's okay to castrate children and deform them. It doesn't make it okay, not in the society that we live in. It used to be that there would be good men that would be willing to stand up against such things. These days, it's hard to tell. Dan said this, he said, The expansion of America was done by organized Europeans against individual Indian tribes. The Indians lived free and only came together to defeat Custer, and that victory mobilized an unstoppable force of U.S. government forces. The Battle of Little Bighorn is like January 6th. I don't know about that, but I understand the analogy. Isn't that what's happening today? Most American families want to work to provide for their families and live without government interference. When you have to go against good judgment to satisfy government edicts, that's not good governance. It's it's one of the most profound statements about the state of things I've, I've read in a long time. And he says, any resistance to government overreach is considered an attack on democracy. You can't even speak up about it. That's the new title of communist rule, democracy. Well, isn't isn't a communist rule? Can can communism could still be democratic, right? You could have a communist democracy when you think about it. Sure, you could. Absolutely. In today's age of you know what's happening now in this regard, this is like when. You know, in, in the Soviet Union, they're like, wow, you know, uh, Gorbachev elected by a 90% margin or whatever. And uh, he'd say, well, that's, you know, crazy, right? Yeah, because it's all fake, just like the Twitter bots. It just now it's, it's a, a lot easier to do. Let me throw a little, a little fact at you here from Pennsylvania. Uh, I'm going to just take a little, a little break from the topic at hand to mention this. Nancy Price, I'm the treasurer for her campaign. If you go to nancypa.com, nancypa.com. Uh, if you are interested in supporting a grassroots candidate, five by, I know I'm going to sound like the Fetterman. If you can spare, hey, can you spare me 10? Um, I would really like to, to get some uh, help for her campaign. Even a little bit would be huge, morally speaking. She um, has a slim chance of winning here in a Democrat-controlled area, but it is vitally important that somebody is campaigning and pushing back, which she's doing. She is bringing the fight big time on this election stuff. She's gone to the county commissioner. She's brought model legislation out of Lancaster, pushed them to vote on it, which they won't. Here's this woman, never any political experience, not really asking for much, She's spending a ton of her time giving up an income right now so that she can do this, plus thousands of dollars out of her pocket. Uh, I'm asking you, if you could, nancypa.com. Go there, click on the Donate button. It goes through WinRed. Uh, It's very secure. You can use your card or whatever. A couple of bucks. I'm not asking for any big donations. Uh, But a little help for the campaign uh, would really mean something. Well, anyway, she called me over the weekend. And uh, I didn't get a chance to catch up with her until Monday. 
And she said, did you know that there's 153,000 more votes cast in Pennsylvania than there were registered voters? How is that not a crime in and of itself? And they say, well, it wasn't enough to change the outcome of the election. Joe Biden won Pennsylvania by 600,000 votes. But you're going to tell me that 150,000 plainly discoverable without any prima facie bad votes. You have to be registered to vote. And that's really, I think, part of what Democrats did to steal the election. This whole Dropbox thing with one vote, they mail out votes to people. What's to stop somebody from putting this name on it here and dropping it there and this one there? There's no way to check that with the voter rolls the way they had it set up. It's really disturbing. 150-some thousand more votes through Pennsylvania than there are registered voters. You tell me what kind of democracy is that, these people? Oh, uh, democratic socialism. How do you have democratic socialism with with, with uh, fake elections? How's that work exactly? I've brought this up many times in the past. This, you know, when the ends justify the means, when there's no morality in politics, that it's science-based, it was under some vague set of rules that's ever-changing, that nobody knows, it's not written anywhere, what does it lead to? complete chaos, pain, and destruction. You know why? Because selfishness takes hold. It's the only thing left at that point. Very sad. Dan says, will freedom-loving Americans... He says, uh, the charge cards... Uh, no, here we go. Let me back up. When government needs to be aware of every dollar you earn and have power over, quote, good purchases and be informed of, quote, bad purchases... That's now a free society. Many people and companies make decisions on tax policies, not financial good decisions. The results are, unless you're big enough to take your profits offshore, you don't try and build wealth in your company. Why own a big home when the property taxes are more than the loan payment? Charge cards will code gun purchases. Does that sound like what a free country does? This is another remarkable uh, chain of events. This is not government regulation doing this. This is the companies doing it. He says, will freedom-loving Americans be swept away by communist government politicians promising freebies to their troops that take what the workers have earned? Is there a place in America that you can rest your head without the government taxing clock, tax clock running? And if you don't pay your property taxes, they confiscate the land and home you worked your life to earn. Have we become a slice of society working so hard just to survive that we can't defend our freedoms? And the enemies of freedom feed off of those they wish to destroy. Really a fantastic thought when you think about it. The end of an era, you know, it's been discussed that we're at the end of a a society, an end of a civilization. It's uh, remarkable to think about when 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 you put that together like that and you think about the impact here, let alone around the world. Crazy, really. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the way Thomas Paine saw this uh, situation. 
because it's not a new conversation. As a matter of fact, Thomas Paine predicted everything that we're seeing today. Isn't that amazing? Back when he wrote Common Sense 250 years ago, Thomas Paine predicted all this. So did the creators of the Constitution. We talked about this on, what was it, Monday? You know, at what point do people have a right or an obligation? Do they at all to overtake the government? It's always there. So, And, and part of the reason, by the way, why, why uh, Nancy Price is able to push back, the Democrat that she's up against was not primaried. There was no competition. And when she decided to run, there was no Republicans to run against the Democrat. And this has been the problem. That it's no longer competitive because no, not enough people are even interested in doing it. And that is a byproduct also of a system that's become so difficult, so risky, so expensive. It's nuts. You should have seen what I had to go through to, to register as a campaign treasurer. I mean, if, if the FBI is ever looking for me, they're not going to have to look very far at this point, for God's sake. Talking about having their thumb on you. It's crazy. It really is. Anyway, it's one of the reasons why I think it's so important we, we support these grassroots candidates. You know, and you could probably do a whole treatise on, uh, on uh, why people aren't interested in getting involved in government. And that's not a new phenomenon, by the way. There was times in this country where they didn't have, have enough uh, attending to have a, have a vote. <laughs> crazy. There weren't enough to have a quorum, and so they couldn't hold a vote. It's funny when you think about it. Pennsylvania <clears throat> had to pass a law uh, limiting how many meetings elected officials could, could miss because they weren't showing up. Horrible when you think about it. Add to that 135 or 153, I think it was, 1,000 unregistered voters showing up to vote. On top of all the dead ones and so forth that are registered, the, the, the voter rolls you know, there's hundreds of thousands of names on there that are bad. And there's your stolen election. Thomas Paine, you probably know from listening to me since I translated Common Sense into Modern English. You can check it out. It's on my website, ChristopherScottShow.com. I highly recommend it. It's a great book to read. Uh, I think it should be recommended reading for every American. Maybe you consider buying a few as gifts. Some of the younger people that you know, Christmas gifts might make a good Christmas gift. Uh, I think that, and it's nonpartisan, right? You give it out and people just understand the history, the philosophy, and the way of thinking at that time. And it, it could be a, a gift to, to pay dividends you can't possibly imagine, like planting the seeds of a tree. Really, I mean that. I mean, it's a writing that is that important. And being written in modern English, it's a lot easier, a lot more enjoyable to read for somebody today, written in today's language. And um, you'll see, I kept the, the meaning very carefully. But either way, you can also read that there's a free version if you read, if you want to read The Common Sense by Thomas Paine in, in Old English. I've had people say to me, there's no difference between Old English and New English. Uh, yeah, there is. There really is, actually. I don't know why somebody would say that. There's a big difference, actually. But the Queen's English is no different than the Webster's English that we use today or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, there is. And I don't know, maybe if you, if you grew up listening to the, uh, you know, reading the King James Bible, maybe you like it, maybe you prefer it. Well, there it is. You can get the free PDF online. Uh, but for those of us that did not uh, grow up reading Shakespeare at breakfast, uh, I think the, the modern English version <laughs> reads a lot better. Uh, you can decide for yourself. 
I'm going to share with you today the excerpts will be from the modern English version, just so you know. Uh, But Thomas Paine, and there's a lot I could talk about with this. I've done it a lot, so it's a topic that I know well. You know, why was common sense written? Uh, I think we're going to talk about that a little bit tomorrow, why it was so important. But it was the most compelling case for freedom ever made. It really was. It laid the groundwork for everything else. At its core, he was calling for independence from Britain. And um, it's uh, really fascinating that that even needed to be said at that time. By the time the second edition of Common Sense had been published, which is the popular edition, um, and it circled back because by the time the second edition came, there was no response to the Declaration of Independence. And so it was at that time that things became more significant. And, and, and here's the, the simple chronological order. I don't know that anybody else says it like this, but this is really important to understand. That the revolution, so the, 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 the Declaration of Independence, the Founding Fathers, they didn't just go start a war. They didn't start a war at all. I'm not so certain that it was, um, that it was colonists who even fired the first shots, was it? I don't know that that's known. Um, but the Declaration of Independence was sent to England, to the King of England, saying what it says. We talked about some of that this week, and making these demands. And England responded by returning with more troops. And now, this is why the second edition of Common Sense becomes so critical. Because now, for people to go along with the Declaration of Independence and this cockamamie idea of we're going to overthrow the government because we said so and we the people, yeah, that's all well and good until they, they come in with the bayonets and, you, you know, the, the long arm of the British rule strikes American shores. Now it's a little bit different decision, isn't it? And the, the British, they were, they were exercising uh, lots of influence and had people loyal to them here. Well, this is where the second edition of Common Sense became very important. It was the, a very convincing argument to say, hey, uh, this is going to get ugly. This is going to get potentially very ugly, which it did. Eight years, eight long years of revolutionary war that was as much a civil war as a revolutionary war. It carried on. Thomas Paine, uh, he begins the, the book with a letter if you will. And it's just to convince people to stay in this fight. And he acknowledges that there's a difference on the matter of independence. And I think that part of the, the exercise in understanding common sense and Thomas Paine and the way, the way he thought, but also the way he spoke, because he was able to appear appeal to the moderates on the other side or the people that weren't completely radicalized on the other side. And he did that by validating their thoughts. You know what that means? It's like validating a parking ticket, making good on it. And you say, I understand what you're saying. And he does it right from the beginning. He says, not everyone will agree with the principles outlined in this book. That may be because things have been wrong for so long that people have come to accept it as normal. We might be at that point today. He says, some people might be reluctant to accept these principles since it defies the new normal. Uh, eventually, however, the truth always prevails. And eventually, every abuse, abuse of power is called into question. Sometimes it will cause people to question the whole system that provided the power in the first place. The King of England 
has united with Parliament to exercise complete control over everything. But the people of this continent who have suffered because of the abuse of this power have a right to question the claim of this power and the right to reject it altogether. And basically what he's saying there is this history of governments unquestionably growing and growing and growing to the point that they become unbearable, it's like the drug addict. It's just more and more and more. It's never enough. Then he points out that he's not trying to create further disagreement and that he encourages debate on the principles of the matter. He says this book is about principles. Its purpose is not to attack or compliment any person or people, all right? So let me give you a quick summary of the points he makes, all right? Uh, he lays out the origin of government and why government is needed in the first place and what a proper government should do. And we never have these discussions anymore. And it really is important, right? Free college, free college. But government now is, is paying people's debts. He said, well, it's nothing new. Maybe it's just something very old that needs to go away. Pain, he does it by comparing a few of the injustices of the current form of government being a colony of Britain. And he uses it as a basis to explain why having a king is wrong. And then he switches gears and he explains the current situation in America. And he does this because the primary argument against independence is people who are afraid that they will not survive without reliance on Britain. They're afraid to give up that government. They say, what will we do if we don't have this government? And to address that, he goes into detail about how capable America is and why it's time for independence. I find this to be incredibly important. People who know this history, they speak differently. I'll give you an example. Um, Doug Mastriano, candidate for governor here in Pennsylvania, talking about how Pennsylvania, the state of Pennsylvania, has enough natural resources to provide for its own energy needs. Isn't that pretty doggone remarkable? That if the state could survive on its own, you may see that with this uh, breakdown of this uh, global disaster that we're, we're on the edge of. He explains in detail how capable America is and why the time for independence is now. It never goes away. The last section, the addendum added in the second edition, deals with the issue of church and state. And the Quakers and others are fearful of conflict. We're supporting Britain. And this is what he's dealing with at this time. Uh, he's dealing with, uh, you know, people who don't feel safe um, or, you know, wouldn't feel safe leaving Britain and the, and the control of the government, the, the, the umbrella of the government. And, and then you have people that they don't want the conflict, very peaceful people, very similar to what we'd be dealing with today. He says, uh, this, is, this is what he, he says in regard to why government is needed and what a natural form of government should look like. Some writers have so completely blended society with government that they seem to make no distinction between the two. However, not only are the two different, but they have different origins. Society is a result of our wants, whereas government is a result of our selfishness. 
Society allows our happiness in a positive way by uniting us with each other, while government negatively affects us by suppressing our wrongdoings. Society is a protector. Government is a punisher. He then states, Every society is a blessing, but government, even at its best, is nothing more than a necessary evil, which is a theme that's repeated by many of the founding fathers. It speaks to the distrust the early framers of our government held for the institution of government in general. They didn't trust it. And, you know, this is really a foundational question, I think, is a good question for Democrats right now. Do you have any trust in government? Nobody has any trust in government. Why would you want to continue to expand something that you don't trust? Thomas Paine goes on to say that government at its worst is intolerable to the point that the misery we suffer by a government is the same misery we would suffer without any government. But the misery we suffer is made worse by the fact that we create our own suffering through the government we create. Government, like clothing is an indication of the sinfulness of humanity. And I'm not sure exactly what Thomas Paine meant when he wrote that. Uh, I think something slightly different, but I think there's another good analogy here with this. And I've said this before, and you say, who are these people? The, you know, Ocasio-Cortex and, and many others, bipartisan, you think they're nuts, right? And, and crazy. And I say to you, well... Uh, <laughs> You say they don't represent the people. They don't? How can you be so sure? You say they don't represent you, but how do they not represent the broader interest? Every ruler's power is a result of the people's own selfishness. If everyone always did what was right and fair, there wouldn't be any need for laws or government. Since that's not the case, people find it necessary to surrender part of their freedom to secure means for protection. It's a matter of choosing between two evils. For that reason, security of one kind or another is the sole purpose of government. Think about it. If you can't feel secure, and this is what the big thing that's being broken down right now at its core, this is what's going to ultimately be what creates the chaos that allows people to usher in and take control where they otherwise wouldn't have. And it's going to be the chaos from the lawless society, the breakdown of security. It's the, the anarchists that create this. Why? So they can create a power vacuum and they can have their will. Therefore, the government will unquestionably grow with the promise of providing better benefits from providing basic security to whatever form it needs to in order to ensure total control. He then acknowledges what could be described as the unfortunate need for government. He makes a prophetic prediction that government will always grow. It's a prediction that has remained entirely true throughout history. Every form of government, it's the same. I made this argument. You know, you could have a socialist society that does very well. I would argue that if you can't leave, that you really don't have a, a voluntary socialist society. But you have communal socialist societies, the, the, the communities that perform very well. People are united under a common cause and and everything's working fine. But when there's not a basic moral framework, there's no system that can work well. None. Out of necessity, then, people are pulled together to take advantage of each other's talents and abilities. In the beginning, they rely on each other, so there's no need for laws and government. Over time, however, selfishness and laziness settle in. 
people grow complacent. As a second group of people begins providing a disproportionate amount of work, they begin to see the need to establish some form of government to correct the unfairness. In other words, government is a system required by the inability of people to individually cooperate for the fairness of everyone. This is the basic design and downfall of government. That is freedom and security. And no matter how idealist such a conclusion might seem, basic human nature will eventually prove it true. The government has to stay limited because when it doesn't, once you breach through that, it will begin to enter its tentacles into everything. Do you see what I've been trying to say? That when you cross these lines, that you open up something, a Pandora's box that you could only possibly dream of. Payne adds a simple observation. He says, I draw my idea of the form of government from a natural law. The simpler something is, the less liable it is to be confusing and the easier it is to fix. Really interesting when you look at government state and how complicated, right? I always want to tell you, oh, it's very complicated. Let me share with you this one last bit here a second. He says, absolute governments, which are the disgrace of human nature, they have this advantage. They are simple. If the people suffer, they know that whoever is in charge is causing their suffering. The simplicity also makes it easy to see the remedy. There's no confusion of what's causing the problem as to what to do about it, but the Constitution of England is so exceedingly complex that the nation would suffer for years without being able to discover where the problem lies. Some people will blame one thing, some people will blame another, but the resulting problems and suffering in every political expert will have different advice. And it's the same today. Exactly the same. Thomas Paine, let me leave you with this one. He said, I know it's difficult to get over local or long-standing beliefs, but if we take the time to look at the different components of the English Constitution, we find at its core two ancient tyrannies with some Republican elements sprinkled in. That's really where we are today. That this horrible system, this federalist system, this overbearing federal government is spending $3 trillion with no accounting for it. And, and to come back after $3 trillion and say, oh, we're going to have a budget disaster coming. Just to have the gall to do that, for a government to stand in front of its people and say that, think about how ridiculous it is. That the border's wide open with drugs and human smuggling and horrible tragedies going on. There's nothing even said about it. You have to ask yourself what's going on. Elections completely polluted. We're like in the last days of Rome. I don't know how to say it any other way. You, you think that the craziness could go any further? Let me, let me give you this little thought. Coming out of the great state of California. When was the last time you heard anybody say that? I see now that the liberals are picking on conservatives. What's their fascination with California all the time? They always want to beat up on California. And I do think that, that uh, especially like uh, Florida, they need to be a little careful because there's problems in Florida too. But listen to this. California Senate passed a bill that it would allow courts in California to take custody of minors from out of state if they come to California seeking gender transition surgeries and cross-sex hormones, even if those actions go against the wishes of the minor's parents. Wow, 
here's the big question and all that, whether you disagree with it, agree with it. Who's paying for that? What happens in the state of California? There's nobody suffering. They've got a massive homelessness problem, but the, the, the state of uh, California is going to fund this nonsense on top of it. More lunacy. God willing, I hope to be back tomorrow. I sure hope to see you there. In the meantime, make it a great day.